it's becoming increasingly apparent that one of the biggest problems to solve or the roles to play in healthcare for technology is this concept of health equity, extending access to care to more people across the world. Access to quality care shouldn't be a privilege, but a basic human right. So with more technology comes more data, of course. And how we use that data could really move the needle towards improving health equity. Perhaps the insights from this data could be used to analyze or to predict issues. And as a global society, we could move towards more prevention than treatment. So this is all good in theory, and I'm with you so far. But you know what? Those dreaded silos of information and the dodgy technology infrastructure that we like to use in healthcare, and importantly, the increasing issue of staff shortages workforce digital capability and burnout are real issues and make this a lot harder to implement in reality. So in a clinical setting, what do Australian healthcare leaders need when it comes to the data that they get from healthcare to do something meaningful with it and take the concept of data-driven care from a mere pipe dream to something tangible? Well, with me today is Matt Moran, Managing Director at Philips Australia and New Zealand. And in this chat, we're going to explore this topic as well as the impact of COVID, remote care, telehealth, new digitally enabled models of care, and the barriers that health providers face, especially in rural and remote Australia. And a lot more too. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Matt Moran, the Managing Director for Philips in Australia and New Zealand. He's got over 25 years at Philips and held various leadership positions in Australia, Singapore and Europe and across different areas of the company, supporting its transformation from a consumer electronics company to a global leader in health technology. Matt, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Pete. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks so much for joining. Great to have you on the show. So look, impressive background and um, uh, really keen to dive in and talk all things healthcare and Phillips. But firstly, set the scene. Tell us a bit more about you and your background, please, sir. Yeah, so as you rightly mentioned, 25 years in the company. So I've been very privileged to see the transformation that Philips has gone through as a company with a foundation in innovation and improving lives through innovation. We've really been able to, I guess, evolve our business, as you mentioned, from predominantly consumer electronics focused and light bulb focused into a company that is absolutely focused on improving lives through healthcare innovation and health technology. You know, we have some fairly lofty goals for ourselves as a company. We want to improve the lives of two and a half billion people per year by 2030. And out of that, 400 million of those who want to be in underserved communities. So this whole topic around access to care is very much baked into the vision we have for what we want to do in healthcare. And as I said, we're a company that's been around for a long time, a huge strength and in innovation. And with the challenges facing healthcare, we really felt that uh, this is the place we can have the greatest impact for the good of people across the planet. I find it a really fascinating story, the whole Philips really focusing in on healthcare, particularly, as you say, bringing innovation and that consumer focus in other areas. But now and recently positioning firmly as a player in healthcare, and that's the primary focus. So, yeah, I can see how those things tie together to really speak to those objectives and visions that you explained there. Mm. Yeah, as I said, we've been around 130 odd years, and it's really the transformation has really happened, really sped up over the last 10 years. But if you look at the businesses we used to be in, it is now 100% solely focused on health technology and how we can drive innovation there. And it's a very exciting place to be in, mm. in an area where we think we can really help. 
And for those unfamiliar with what Philips does in healthcare, tell us a bit more about its role in health. We like to look at healthcare as a continuum. And, you know, coming as a company that has a very strong consumer brand and with the consumerization we see of healthcare, your consumers getting more and more engaged, involved in managing their healthcare. So we like to look at it rather than just sick care as it was traditionally, you know, people going into hospital or a doctor when something is wrong. Really looking at it as a continuum from start to finish, from, you know, healthy living to prevention, then into diagnosis and treatment, and then into home care or aftercare and recovery, if you like. So rather than just focusing on the four walls of a healthcare facility, really looking at what people can do up front to, you know, live healthier, prevent issues from arising. But then when they do happen, you know, obviously get them well again as quickly and efficiently and, and with the best outcomes we can, and then get them home to their family and loved ones as soon as possible and out of a costly healthcare facility. So that's really the way we are looking at it, not just sick care, managing that continuum from start to finish. Yeah. And obviously doing that over the past couple of years through COVID, you and the team engaging a lot with healthcare leaders across the country and obviously globally as well. What would you say are the lessons that a lot of the healthcare leaders in Australia have learned through the COVID pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key lessons was actually the healthcare system was fairly resilient. We got through it comparatively well, but certainly there were huge challenges through that time. The level of pressure on staff, on facilities, the burnout, really, really tough. But overall, I think fairly resilient. I think one of the great realizations or drivers of change is that you know the role that technology can play and that it's not as scary and the change doesn't need to be as profound as we may think it is and you know a classic example of that is just the move to telehealth and you know if you look from march to now there's some well over 100 million telehealth consults that have happened which was not really happening at all prior to the pandemic so the realization that hey there is technology that we can pretty much plug and play quite quickly and you know we worked with some facilities where within a two-week period we could stand up a remote a remote monitoring situation where COVID patients didn't need to come into a hospital and, you know, risk infecting immune-compromised people. So that ability to plug and play fairly quickly and just see the benefits they can have on workload, on people coming through the doors of EDs, but I guess the criticality of keeping contagious people away from potentially other people and in hospitals that, that can be immune-compromised. The role of technology, I think, is absolutely key. And I think just the recognition that we need to keep moving. There's a lot of learnings out of what happened here, but we can't go back to what happened before. You know, a form of this could happen again. There's technology that has proved itself. We need to, you know, embed this and keep moving forward to really drive, you know, enhancements of the system to make it more sustainable and more resilient long term. I don't think there's things that definitely need to be stopped or thrown out, but I think the, the real lesson or, or message is continue to enhance and build on the progress we've made, continue driving that transformation because it certainly helped the, the resilience of the system. Yeah, it's a pretty critical time, isn't it? Obviously, in the peak of the pandemic and leading up to it, that sense of urgency that we talk about and the fact that we saw such transformational change in a short period of time across healthcare. So essentially, we've demonstrated that it is possible and obviously under extreme circumstances, but it would be a shame to lose that sense of urgency or capability as we move in, as you say, whether it's in similar situations or just generally all the other challenges that we face across healthcare. We've demonstrated that it is possible and there's an interest to adopt new models of care or emerging technologies in healthcare. And there's certainly benefits to bring there as well. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, the challenges that are still there in healthcare, the escalating costs, those things that exacerbated in the pandemic, but are still there, the rise of chronic disease, they are still there. And, you know, making it just sustainable as a system and affordable and driving care to lower cost locations, like in the home, is something that worked in the pandemic, but it absolutely helps address the challenges that were already there. So it would be a real shame if we were to roll back some of these changes because they are 
contributing to the overall improving on some of those trends that have been going on for years. So I fully agree. It would be a shame to take any backward step. Yeah. So with, like you say, the example of more care in the home, and there's a real opportunity when it comes to remote care around that to to enable some of that healthcare delivered, not within the four walls of a hospital. That helps from a geographical point of view, which is important in Australia, but also to this point that you touched on earlier around inequality or health equity as well. Does that play a part there in improving equity in healthcare, some of these technologies and capabilities like remote care? Yeah, absolutely. It's the ability to access and, and talk to patients over, you know, telehealth consults or video consults certainly is a lot better than someone having to drive 8, 10, 12 hours to get to their GP, which is, you know, a reality. We've got, you know, 28 odd percent of our population is living in rural areas and these are real challenges that they do have. So I think what's also been interesting is that challenge of equity and equality in healthcare is really picked up by our healthcare leaders. And, you know, we do a study every year for the last seven years, we've engaged in a study called the Future Health Index. And the Future Health Index is really just helping to understand the attitudes towards healthcare, the challenges and the readiness of, of health systems to continue to transform and evolve. And it really helps us understand the challenges out there, but drive discussion, drive dialogue towards meaningful change. As I said, we've done it every year for the last seven years and the 2022 edition has been completed recently. And what we saw coming out of it, which I think was refreshing, is that for 36% of our healthcare leaders, so we engage with, you know, head of departments, head of hospitals, head of healthcare facilities, for 36% of that population, that access to care and making sure of care equality is the top priority for 36% of them. So that is great to see that switch now, that they recognise this is something we really need to focus on as a top priority. And over 40% see in the next three years, it's going to become even more important. So I think the recognition and the enthusiasm to try and address these issues is there. And that's obviously a key thing for any change to happen. So from that perspective, I think that's really positive. Yeah. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do, so consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. I'm keen to learn from the report and the study and the, the survey that was performed. Any other barriers or challenges that might contribute to this issue around healthcare inequality and particularly in regional Australia as well? Yeah, I mean, particularly regional areas, obviously, you know, there can be infrastructure challenges and the internet speeds, for example, in the centre of Sydney versus the internet speeds in the bush are clearly quite different. And if you look 
if you look to that, 28% of the population living rural, about 40% of them have got internet speed that you wouldn't really say is good enough for, say, a video consult or sort of meaningful interaction. So that's a challenge. And that is something that, you know, collectively we need to try and address. How do we get that equality of infrastructure um, so these people have access? Because, you know, the step changes you can make in terms of equality and patient outcomes by them not having to travel these vast distances and maybe intervening at the right time when an issue arises, one, obviously helps the health outcomes, but also drives down costs as well. If we can intervene at the right time, it's a critical part of healthcare and cost management. Yeah. Anything else from the report or the study that particularly comes front of mind to you and becomes a priority? Yeah, the priority in using things like telehealth is, is an obvious one, but the use of predictive technologies, for example, and how that can help with healthcare mm. inequality. And that was as high as three quarters of healthcare leaders were saying they can imagine predictive analytics and predictive technologies can help in this type of situation. And you can imagine if you are collecting data and consolidating it in usable formats to create insights. And, you know, someone who is in the bush, you can pull together various sets of data from them and, you know, maybe over time and, you know, benchmark that against other data sets of de-identified patients. And you can start to predict, well, hang on, this is a patient out in the bush that's got some worrying signs. We need to get them in to, to see the GP or need to get them into a facility. And on the flip side of that, it could be that these people are good as gold and they don't need to see the doctor this month or next month or the month after because there's nothing wrong with them. Because if, if people like that are going into EDs or wherever, that's creating waste as well because they're, they're taking up time of healthcare professionals when it's just not needed because they're healthy. So to be able to use that data, bring it together and then trend and predict from it can really help because it is an issue for you to imagine the farmer around the bush whose doctor is 12 hours away, something might be wrong. They really don't want to drive 12 hours to go and see a doctor. And the reality is they might not need to mm. if we have ways to interact with them enabled by digital technology to actually you know, measure and predict what could go on in that situation. So I think that really helps, and that's certainly recognised by, as I said, three quarters of the healthcare leaders that participated in the study. It's interesting too. So are we talking about artificial intelligence here and the use of AI in healthcare to really help triage some of those issues? Yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. Yeah. It's you know, it's, it's building the data sets and then using algorithms to work out what the actual outcomes could be. Mm. It is fueling investments. About forty, more than forty percent of of the healthcare professionals say they are starting to you know drive and invest in AI because of the benefits they see in things like predicting patient outcomes bringing data together, improving clinical diagnosis and confidence in diagnosis. So there's a lot of upside to, you know, the clinical setting and of course in an operational setting as well. The big benefits to be had there in terms of, you know, managing resources, managing staff, what are the bottlenecks in hospital flow. Mm. There's been studies, there's a study from the Grattan Institute around, if I remember the data correctly, is between 40 and 60% of resource can be optimized in a hospital because, you know, managing bottlenecks, you know, who should go into an ICU? At what point should they be discharged from an ICU into step-down care? At what point are they ready to be discharged and to go home? Rather than just making that judgment by looking at them and saying, well, we're not quite sure, let's leave them for another couple of days. By collating the vital signs, what you're measuring, how they are holding up, and you know, using algorithms to measure that against other data sets, you, know, you could say with a reasonable level of confidence that you know, based on what we are seeing in the data and the insights, this person's good to go home. Yeah, you know the chances of anything going wrong because we're benchmarking it against you know other very large data sets. We're comfortable, and it takes the guesswork out of it. You know, it's informed decision making of what's the right time to discharge, and that can eliminate a lot of waste. I mean, it's encouraging to hear that dialogue really mature to the point where it has today when it comes to artificial, the role of artificial intelligence in healthcare, particularly, you know, coming from a healthcare leader's perspective. I think we're talking a lot less about whether AI will play a part in healthcare. And we're not so much talking about AI replacing the role of clinicians anymore. It's really looking at 
both from a clinical side and operational perspective, how can AI augment the existing capabilities of the clinicians and the frontline to reduce that workload to reduce the burnout and increase the clarity they have to be able to make more informed decisions, as you say, and actually have data-driven insights as opposed to um, solely relying on on the individual. So it sounds like it's certainly an area that Philips has got a lot of attention on at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And we look at AI and some of it needs to be adapted into the workflow to eliminate waste and enhance people's impact and enhance their job. So if, if that can free up a healthcare professional to spend time on the critical patients and spend very little time on patients that aren't sick rather than the kind of standard peanut butter spread that can happen when people come in, that's absolutely what we want it to enhance. It's really adapting to existing workflow and enhancing you know, existing workflow rather than a computer's going to take over your job. And there was some rhetoric or dialogue about that and concern about that in the early days when this discussion happened, but clearly we have moved on from that. Yeah. There's certainly huge value being seen by the people that we talk to. I agree. I think there's certainly the values identified and a lot of the research and work and theoretical discussion that gets had plenty of practical examples, but there's that big gap, as we all know, in in healthcare when it comes to technology around the implementation side and the actual executing it, taking something from something that sounds really good in theory and putting it in a hospital or a healthcare setting and being used by patients and clinicians. What are some of the barriers that you see that healthcare leaders are facing when it comes to implementing some of these new solutions? Yeah, the report tells us that clearly there's value seen there, and that's an absolute given. But there's a couple of themes First one is really around integration, interoperability, and the infrastructure. So if I expand a little bit on that, looking at the feedback of the healthcare leaders, three quarters of them say that silos hinder their ability to utilize data. So silos within their organization. And what's actually concerning is that was considerably higher than the global average. Globally, about half of healthcare leaders said it was a challenge. And in Australia, it's around three quarters. Now, whether that's because of the state federal setup, you know, we haven't, haven't dived into that. But I think the key thing is that being able to pull the data together, make it visible and interoperable is a critical thing that we need to work on. I also mentioned uh, infrastructure and about a third say that infrastructure is not helping and particularly the bush, for example, where we talked about some of the challenges of infrastructure there in rural areas is very clear. And I think the final part, and again, back to interoperability and security and privacy, I think is absolutely critical. You know, we need to be able to build these data sets that are usable and can create insights, but clearly patient privacy and security is absolutely critical as well. So having secure standard systems that can be worked on and data interchange between them in a secure and private way, but can then provide insights that allow the data to be benchmarked against large data sets and used to create predictions of outcomes is something that's very key yeah. that we need to address as well. But that data privacy piece is really important, not just for the obvious reasons about protecting data, but getting that buy-in and trust, which then feeds back to that point around the implementation and ensuring that people have confidence in, like whether it's the clinicians, executives or the patients or any, anyone in that cycle using the solution, it's uh, by having that security and privacy then really drives that confidence in utilizing the product and implementing it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a bit of a given. We've just got to get that right and make it trustworthy, interoperable, and safe. I think the other area, which is, as you would expect, is staff and skill shortages. You know, we've been, for the Future Health Index, we've um, we've looked at this for a few years now. And one of the key focus areas of the study a couple of years ago was around, particularly around young healthcare professionals coming into the healthcare profession. And there was an expectation that the younger generation of professionals will be more comfortable with data and because of growing up in a more of a digital age, I guess. Mm. But nearly half of them were still saying, we're not confident that we can use digital data to inform our decisions. It's a challenging situation and some barriers there. And I guess when you think about what you've just talked about when it comes to 
the infrastructure and the sheer volume of data there, I guess it does create an opportunity for technology to play a part and speak to some of those challenges and issues, right? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, out of the report, we saw that three quarters of staff feel overwhelmed by the data so that they have the data, the ability to pull that into actionable insights that they can actually do something with is the real challenge. And that is where, you know, AI and predictive technologies can help pull all that together and serve it up to as informed information that can be used to patient care. So that is certainly an area where you know, we see opportunity in AI and opportunity in predictive technologies to really crunch that data together and make it actionable. I think the last thing which is also interesting is that nearly half of the healthcare professionals said they probably need some data specialists to come in and help us with this. You know, their specialty is looking after patients, caring for people and making sure people get better. And you know, the desire is, hey, let's get some people in to actually help us you know, crunch this data. And it's a little bit chicken and egg because you know, the costs in healthcare are going up and maybe bringing in extra people to look at this stuff can add costs. But at the same time, if we can drive productivity and there is, it's widely recognized there are large levels of waste in healthcare across the board. If you can take out some of that efficiencies through good use of data, you can actually offset you know, some of the increased costs through productivity and efficiency elsewhere. Yeah. Just eliminating waste out of the system, which you know, is universally accepted to be in the area of kind of 30% of healthcare spend could well be waste. Yeah. And you're right in terms of making that investment in the right people and capability so that the technology is supporting those that are doing the caring as opposed to, you know, the other way around and trying to really retrofit care into technologies that might not be supporting the workflow. So that investment and strategic thinking about how to implement that is really important. And from a people perspective, not just about the capability of people and the data not supporting them making decisions, that point around clinician burnout and those that are doing the caring are probably in the most need of caring themselves at the moment. Sometimes though people can say that technology contributes to that as a problem, but you know, there's a very strong case to say that technology can really assist and lighten the burden on healthcare workers, would you say? Yeah, I mean, and we've got these fantastic use cases that are out there now. And a classic example would be an EICU unit. And you know, in Australia there is a unit in Perth which is a 12-hour time difference from Atlanta. And basically, in a night shift for an intensive care unit can be covered from Perth for a hospital in Atlanta. So basically eliminating the need for, for night shift. And night shift is typically when things go wrong because people are you know sleeping, not necessarily on top of their game. An effective EICU, using the data, using the information we're getting off the patients in real time, where you can predict deterioration. Literally, the cameras and the measurement systems can keep an eye to see what is going on. So rather than just your normal intensivist doing the rounds of the intensive care unit or in a, in a general unit, you know, checking every half hour, you can literally be sitting on the other side of the world watching the data come in in real time and then prompt when an intervention may be required. And for us, the ability to watch a larger number of patients in a more efficient way and intervene when absolutely necessary, to me, is a fantastic example of technology enabling or reducing burnout. Because like I say, that example, where we can pretty much take a night shift away in some circumstances. That's got to be good for for healthcare professionals. So it needs to be implemented well. And again, it needs to be integrated into the normal workflow, but it needs to enhance the way that people work and not try and, you know, (laughs) overload them with more information than they need. And that is clearly a fear for some healthcare professionals. Great example. No, look, that's a really interesting one to watch. So for Philips, what can we look forward to seeing from Philips here in our region when it comes to healthcare in the future? Yeah, it's an exciting time for us as we are still transforming as a health technology company and we continue to bring some fantastic innovations to market. But I think the key thing for us as we are doing today and as we do with the Future Health Index is really uncovering information, uncovering trends and attitudes and driving the discussion. And hopefully through that discussion coming up with you know meaningful next steps on how we can improve healthcare. 
you know, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all approach. We need to have the discussion and then we need to collaborate and we need to co-create and what the future of healthcare could look like. You know, we see the future of healthcare as an integrated hybrid system. It's in person, it's virtual, but it, it's a system for the future that isn't constrained within the four walls of the hospital. It's really optimised to be as efficient as it possibly can, but really focused on patient outcomes and patient experience. And we will keep driving towards that because one, it's the right thing to do for the patient outcomes, but it'll also help a lot for the sustainability of healthcare on a global level. So we will keep talking, we'll keep discussing, we'll keep innovating and driving this forward. And hopefully we can build a more sustainable and resilient healthcare system for the globe. Love it, Matt. We'll be watching with interest and I, and I love where it's heading. So we'll put the details for Philips in the show notes of this episode and there'll be links through to your directory listing on the Talking Health Tech website, which will have a good article for this podcast episode linked up to some glossary terms and themes that people can find there and really dig into and learn a bit more about what's happening in the healthcare space, particularly for Philips in this region as well. Matt, I really appreciate you making the time and coming on the show and having a chat. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pete. My pleasure. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.